For every leader, every manager, every coach, every owner, there's nothing sweeter than momentum. Momentum, when it builds up, is so fine. And really what it is, it's, it's right choices, good outcomes, and enthusiastic energy. And when you start building up that momentum, it tends to lead to more right choices, more good outcomes, and more enthusiastic energy. But nothing hurts worse than when you get momentum and get blindsided. And, a, and an unexplainable loss comes out of nowhere. Today, as we begin to explore Generation Breakout again, we're going to see momentum build, and then we're going to see momentum lost. Let me just take you to a verse that sort of sums up what it feels like to have momentum in a minute. Let me give you background. The Israelites now are going into Canaan. God had been promising them for generations that they would have Canaan, that it would be their land. And now Generation Breakout has been through living through the wilderness. Generation Zombie is dead. They now have gone into Canaan, and as I've shared with you for the last couple of weeks, they have to deal with the linchpin of Canaan right up front, Jericho, and magnificently, they win the biggest battle of Canaan. And we know the story. God gave them a plan. He said, you're going to walk around the city each day for seven days, and on the seventh day, you'll walk around it seven times, blow the horns, the walls fell down, the people were already terrified, Israelites streamed over the city walls, now broken down, took the city of Jericho, and now they've got momentum. They have, they have been on a roll all the way to this moment, and in their minds, they're thinking, if we've already fought the biggest battle, then everything else is going to be easy. And you see this momentum in Joshua chapter 6, verse 27. The Bible says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread. Have you, ever been, have you ever been the coach? Have you ever been the leader? Have you ever been the manager? When momentum was built and your reputation spread, people would hear about you. And all of a sudden you're getting phone calls from people all around the city or all around the state or the country asking you for advice. And that's what happened to Joshua. He's pretty much an untested leader, except now he's known as the guy that, well, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But out of nowhere, a problem develops. And I wanted you to read about it with me. And this is in Joshua chapter 7. If you have a Bible close by, if you have an electronic device with a Bible app, then read just a few verses with me because I want to show you what happens right after Jericho. The Bible says Joshua sent some of his men to Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, little town, little name, east of Bethel, near Beth Haven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there's so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So they just sent 3,000 guys. But they were, look at these two words, soundly defeated. Wow, I mean, it doesn't mean they just lost a close one. They got, they got whipped. They got their backsides kicked. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were, look at this, they were celebrating with joy after they defeated Jericho, and now they've gone up to take a suburb, and they get beaten. And the Bible says the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. And Joshua and the elders, the Bible says, tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out. Now remember, we know Joshua. He's one of the founding members of Generation Breakout. He was one of the 12 spies 40 years ago who went over into Canaan and came back and said, we can do this. God is with us. That's why he's leading right now. But you know, here's the thing. When you lose momentum, when in the midst of a winning season or the midst of a winning time, you just suffer this catastrophic defeat, 
It can make you begin to question the very core of what you're about. And if you've been there, you know how Joshua felt. Look at, look at Joshua. He's praying, and he's saying, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side. Is that Joshua talking? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they'll surround us, wipe our name off the face of the earth. And what then will happen to the glory of your name? Wow. Momentum lost. Setback. I can just tell you this, and I've lived this in my life. Nothing hurts worse. Losing never hurts worse than when you lose after feeling like you've got it figured out. When you feel like you're on a roll and you've got it figured out and you know what to do now and you think, okay, I've, I've figured this thing out, and then you lose, losing never hurts worse at that moment because not only are you suffering the pain from the loss, the lost morale in the troops, but now you begin to question yourself, did I ever know what I was doing in the first place? Or even more so like Joshua, is God even with us in where we are? Well, as I talk about setback today, let me just give you a disclaimer. I'm not talking about a setback like the death of a loved one. That's a different kind of loss that calls for a different kind of sermon. Nor am I talking about something that we have no control over that's like a lost market that no longer is available here in the United States. That calls for a different kind of talk. But I'm talking about what happens in our life when we begin to do good things and make good choices and good things happen, but something goes wrong either because we have something to do with it or somebody very close to us has something to do with it. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that all these stories in the Old Testament are given to us for examples to help us know how to process life. And I'll tell you one thing about what I've discovered in the Bible is even though it's 2,000 years old as a complete book and the story we're looking at is about 3,200 years old, the story that I'm showing you today is as up-to-date as today's edition of the newspaper for this reason. There were two factors that contributed to the setback that the Israelites experienced. And honestly, these are the two things that I've watched throughout my life cause me to have a setback and to cause the people I love to have a setback. And so as we explore what caused them to have a setback, I'm not just doing this to show you what may have caused our setbacks. I want to talk to everybody who's part of Generation Breakout. We're a young church. And here's the deal. If you're 20 years old and I can coach you today to show you how to avoid setbacks with these two things, who knows? You could get on a roll and you could have momentum and coast right through and never have one of these problems. So with that in mind, I want to show you the two reasons why the Israelites experienced this setback. And here's a big one, and this is the one that gets me. They failed to learn the lessons of winning. See, here's the thing. I don't have any problem with learning the lessons of losing. <laughs> they tend to be tattooed on my soul. The lessons of losing are not difficult to learn. Someone has said, you know, winning comes from experience and experience comes from losing. Now, I don't know if that's really true or not, but the, 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 the lessons of losing are fairly easy to learn. But what I've discovered is I can experience a win and just like the Israelites, I can walk away learning exactly the wrong lesson. Let's take a moment and explore why the Israelites lost in the first thing. I mean, what, 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 was, what was the lesson they carried away from winning? You can read about this, and we read it just a moment ago. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 3, they said to Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there's so few of them, don't make all our people go up there. Well, why did they win at Jericho? 
Did they win because they were this great army that never failed? No, they won because God showed up and gave them a plan, and they followed God's plan, and God came through for them. But the lesson they walked away with, and you saw it in the notes, they walked away by thinking, we won because we had superior numbers. If that wasn't their lesson, then why would they say we need fewer to go up against Ai? They walked away with exactly the wrong lesson. Here is our problem with winning. Winning tends to lead to pride. Now, the moment I say that, I know how New Springers are not people that would be haughty or arrogant. You just wouldn't choose New Spring if you're an arrogant person, I don't think. And for that reason, a lot of us would hear this talk and say, Mark, I don't think pride is my issue. Let me read you a scripture in the Bible that helps us to define pride. And you will know this scripture, many of you. In the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, the Bible says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now here's the problem that we have. We tend to define pride as a haughty spirit. If somebody's got an attitude of superiority, we think that's pride, but the Bible doesn't define pride that way. It says that's a haughty spirit. What is pride? Guys, pride is simply this. It's a sense that I don't need God. It's a sense that I can do this on my own. And that was the, that's the problem with winning. See, let, let me just say this to us here today. We're a great crowd gathered in this, in this fourth weekend service. We didn't all worship the same way today. When some of you came in to worship God, you came in in desperation. I mean, you were hanging by your fingernails. And when you walked into worship today, you said, I've got to connect with God. And when we sang those songs, you weren't just singing lyrics and you weren't just listening to the band. You were saying, I must connect with God. I don't know how I'm going to make it if I don't connect with God today. And some of you in this service have already breathed up prayers, prayers of desperation. God, if you don't help my kid, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, if you don't help, if you don't help my relationship, I don't know if we're going to make it another day. God, I've been told by the doctor I might not live a long time. And if you don't heal my body, I'm not going to. See, some of us have prayed those kinds of prayers of desperation. And here's the thing. My guess is most of us have been at one of those moments, and we remember what it was like to worship during that time. We remember what it was like to pray during that time. But if you're not desperate, I mean, here's the deal. Let's be honest, and I've been there. Some of us worship like, well, it's time to worship. I'm going to hear a sermon. It's time to hear the sermon. Hope the Chiefs win today. Or the Broncos, you know. It's like, and it's, it's not that you're not a good Christian. You love the Lord very much. The problem is, is that you've been winning. Right now, you feel okay. Your, your marriage is not perfect, but it's okay. Your kids are crazy, but they're not too crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, you got a job, and, and life is pretty good. And, and you can come in here, and you can enjoy the service, but you don't come in in desperation. And that's the problem, see. We don't have a haughty spirit but we've got pride. The pride that says, God, I'm doing okay. See, if the Israelites had been smart, they'd have looked back and say, we didn't get here by accident. We didn't take Jericho by accident. We didn't take Jericho because we're the biggest army in the block. We took Jericho because God had the plan. And if God brought us here from our yesterdays, then we think God is going to take care of our tomorrows. And if we had to ask God how to take Jericho, we're going to ask God how to take the suburbs. 
Wouldn't it be something if those of us who are in a state of blessing, if we could come in here and pray and worship as though we were in trouble? Who knows? But we might string the momentum together and see some awesome victories in our lives. If we would treat God in a season of blessing the way we treat him in a season of adversity, what would that do? How would that change us? See, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, Pride leads to disgrace. With humility comes wisdom. You know what I've discovered? Most of the wisdom I have, I came about, I, I got it during the worst seasons of my life. Well, somebody could be here today and say, well, Mark, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't know that I'm tracking with what you say because I still believe, you know, you got to get out there and you got to hustle and you got to make it happen. And, and I really think I got myself to where I am. You know, I went to college, I studied, I made good grades, I worked hard, I did extra projects. And, you know, I've, I've, I've gone to work and I built my career, I built my business. So, Mark, thank you for telling me about God. I believe he's somewhere out there and I believe he loves me. But to be honest with you, I, I got where I am because I cranked. Is that really true? I mean, who do you think gave you the wisdom and the intellect to think? Who got you into that college? Who kept you well? Who opened the doors of opportunity? When Moses was talking to Generation Breakout before he died, when he was talking to this young generation that now is going to go on to do great things, Moses told them about all the things that God had done for them, how he got them out of Egypt, opened the Red Sea, how God gave them manna from heaven, water from the rock. And I want you to hear how Moses spoke to them. He said, speaking of God, he did all this. Now, I know there's not a period there, but could we just pull over and rest for a moment? If good things are happening in your life, can you look up to God and say, he did all this? Listen, I got the greatest wife in the world. You know, I told you yesterday, that's too much to talk, it's too much information. But I just said, you know, it's been so much fun going through all the seasons of life with you because we have grandkids now. But it's like yesterday, we were teenagers in high school. And I think about my best friend and my lover and the joy of my life. Hey, do, did I deserve Mary Alice? No, he did all this. I got three wonderful sons. He did all this. I got three awesome daughters-in-law. I got three perfect grandchildren. I get to do the greatest job in the world, lead New Spring Church. How dare I get full of myself because he did all this. I mean, here's the thing. If you're blessed today, if you're feeling good, you got a good job, you got some money in the bank, and you're not, you know, you're not desperate, look up toward God and say, he did all this. But the next verse is so. In other words, he did all this for a reason. Why do you think God has done all the good things in our lives? He did this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember, the Lord your God he is the one who gives you the ability to be successful. If you're blessed today, it is God who is giving you all those things, not you. And let us celebrate those things. I tell you, it would change the way we worshiped if we thought about that. But you know what I've discovered? Like I said at the beginning, this is my weakness. I tend to be very close to God when I'm desperate. But when things are going well, I can kind of back away and start, oh, the relationship with God cools off a little bit. Now work with me for a moment. If you were God, how would you interpret that? Boy, Mark gets really close to me when he has trouble. But you give him a few good days, and then he forgets about me. Well, maybe the only way I can get his attention is to send him trouble. I don't know about you, but I'm listening to the sermon today, okay? <laughs> All right. 
Now, the second reason why they had a setback, and I want to set this up. At my age, I get called in to help a lot of ministries. And many times I get called in to help a ministry that's in scandal. A leader, a pastor, a, le a leader of an organization has done something that's created a scandal. And we all, we all hear those stories, and we see them in the media. Now, here's the thing. If, if you look at that from the outside, you can almost get the impression that this person was a fake. This guy was a charlatan, you know? He was leader of a church, but you know, at the same time he, had, he was having an affair with a woman. So he was always a faker. Now listen, that's sometimes true, but I've gotten close enough to those situations to learn on several occasions, I believe it was really a good guy. It was really a godfather. She was a fine woman. But the problem is there was something hidden. There was some kind of small problem in his or her life that they said, this won't hurt me, and here's the one I've heard so many times, I can handle this. Some kind of glitch, some kind of problem, some sort of failure to develop what should have been developed, or maybe some kind of secret. Always remember this, New Spring, you will never carry anything heavier than a secret. And for the Israelites, we're going to discover what led to their setback was there was something hidden, there was something buried, literally. Well, we read about this in the book of Joshua chapter 7, and we pick it up where we left off a moment ago in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They've stolen some of the things I commanded must be set apart from me. And not only stolen, they lied about it. And not only have they lied about it, they've hidden the things among their own belongings. This is why the Israelites are running from their enemies. Now, just so you'll understand the context for this, before they went into Jericho, God had some instructions for everybody in Israel. I mean, after all, they were going to go into Jericho. It was the richest city in the world. There's going to be millions and millions and millions of dollars of stuff in there. And so God said to the people, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. Boy, that made me think about something. I don't want to attach my future to anything God has cursed. And then the second thing, God said, you'll bring trouble on Israel. And then the third thing he said, um, everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the treasury. And everybody, as far as I know, obeyed that, except for one guy whose name was Achan. It's interesting to me. It's probably just a coincidence. But the name Achan means trouble. Do you have anybody in your organization whose name means trouble? <laughs> You see him coming, you think about the Travis Tritt song, you know, this is T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Um, and, and that's Achan. And then the thing about it is, this is the thing that gets to me. It's not like he took a whole lot. When he's making his confession, he says, I took a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver co coins, and a bar of gold. I did the math on this new spring, and it was less than $20,000. I mean, why would he do that? Why would he blow up his future for something small? Guys, I want to tell you something. Achan made four mistakes that everybody who covers things up may. And I'll go through them real quickly. The first one I've already hinted at. He said, it's not too big a thing. It's a small thing. It doesn't matter a whole lot. You know, it's just, it's just a little silver. It's just a little gold. It's just one suit of clothes. Something little won't matter. But guys, I'll tell you, if I've learned anything in life, that's something that li that's little, it can grow, and it can become huge in our lives if we won't deal with it. The second, thing that, uh, second mistake that Achan made was he said, you know what, I've hidden it, and if I've hidden it, nobody's ever going to find out about it. 
You know, that's the thing, again, I've discovered in talking to great people, many times very good people that can do 99 good things, but they got one thing they're hiding, and they're saying, you know what, I can manage this. I've got it covered up, and nobody's ever going to find out about it. I could be talking to a guy today, and you're a nice guy, and you, you love your wife, and you love your kids, but you've got a porn issue. And you're up late at night, and you're on the computer, and you say, nobody's ever going to find out about this. It, you know, I've got it hidden. Or I could be talking to somebody, and you're in a social media conversation with somebody you went to high school with, and you say, I've got a little flirting going on, but it's just, it's just social media. You know, it's, it's a little thing, and I've got it covered up. Would you just listen to somebody who's worked with thousands of people through the years? Many of them have been in a situation like this. Here is what I've learned they depend on when they think they can cover something up. They're depending on the law of averages. It's as simple as that. They're saying, you know, it's, it's just, you know, scrutiny. The scrutiny hops around, and I'm just going to play the averages that I'm not going to get caught. But before we play the averages, maybe we need to hear what God has to say. And I want to read a couple of verses to you. The Bible says people who conceal their sins will not prosper. You know what the word prosper means? It means to come out ahead. So Scripture is saying people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. God is saying if you bury it, you won't come out ahead. If you dig it up and bring it to him, you will find mercy. But listen to the words of Jesus, the Son of God. Here is what he had to say, and this should just blow up the myth of the law of averages. Jesus said, all that is secret will eventually be made open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light. That's Jesus. I mean, forget the law of averages. Jesus is saying, this is just how the world works. Everything that's hidden is coming up. If you're into business, you know about what's happened with Volkswagen this week. I mean, for if you're a baby boomer, you think of the little Volkswagen car and bus. Man, Volkswagen is the number one automobile company in the world. Their goal was to be the number one automobile seller by 2018. They made it by 2015. It isn't just Volkswagen. They own Audi and Bentley and Bugatti and Lamborghini and a whole bunch of other products they sell all over the world. But Volkswagen is in a great deal of trouble. Their stock prices hemorrhaged this week. Volkswagen's lost, lost half their value. What's amazing, they make an extraordinary automobile. It's just one little issue that they hid. You know, it was, it, here's the weird thing about it, New Spring. It's called a defeat device. See, Volkswagen sells a lot of turbo diesel engines, really the best in the world. But the problem with diesel engines is they, they, there's a lot of emission. And so the thing about it is, if you start controlling the emission, you cut down performance. And so what they did, they, they created a defeat device to cheat. And the car could sense when it was having an emissions test, and it would shut off, it, you know, it, it, would, it would turn off the emissions during the emissions test. But in real life, you know, real life driving, you know, it would, it would, it would emit, you know, harmful, harmful substances 50 times as much as it showed in, in the test. And now Volkswagen is in a world of hurt. They've set aside $7 billion to fix the problem. If it does, they've got another $18 billion potentially in fines, and that's long before their customers start suing them for, for promising a car that will never produce what they said it would produce. And I honestly, I don't know anything about business, but I'm looking at that thinking, this is the most successful car company in the world, and I wonder if they're going to make it, all because they had a tiny defeat device. It's not because they didn't make an excellent automobile. It's just they tried to cover something up. 
Guys, when I read that this week, I thought to myself, how many people have a defeat device on them? They try to defeat scrutiny, and in their final analysis, the only person that's going to defeat is them and the people who love them. Well, that takes me to the third thing. Because not only did Achan say, this is little and it isn't going to matter, not only did he say, I've hidden it and it's never going to be found out, the third thing Achan said, and Lord knows I've heard this a bunch of times, it isn't going to hurt anybody but me. But it did. It cost him his life. It cost the life of 36 soldiers at least. And it cost him the lives of every member of his family. Guys, let me just tell you something. As pastor of this church, I've sat across from people who are about to blow up their marriage. And... They just said, hey, you know, I'm in love with somebody else. And I would plead with them not to do it because I say, you have no reason to do this. Your wife loves you. She's faithful to you. Well, I'm going to do this anyway. And it's not going to hurt anybody but me. And I said, but you've got kids. Well, they're going to be okay. I've read scientific studies that say they're going to be okay. Let me tell you something. I've, I've pastored long enough to watch some of those kids grow up and come into my office as adults and tell me the cost. It's one of the biggest lies Satan can ever tell you and one of the biggest lies you can ever believe that if you cover something up and do something wrong, it isn't going to hurt anybody but you. Because if you and I have some glitch, if we have some sin, if we have some problem that we refuse to deal with and we bury it underground, and when it comes up, it's not just going to hurt us. It's going to hurt everybody who loves us. (laughs) There's a story in the media and when I first heard about it, I thought it was hilarious. Any of you read about the Ashley Madison scandal? You know, Ashley Madison is a website where people want to cheat. They can pay a few hundred dollars and, you know, they can get on the site and perhaps hook up with somebody. I mean, these are people who deliberately plan to cheat. Well, hackers got into it and released the names of thousands and thousands of people who were in Ashley Madison. Like I said, when I first heard that, I thought, that's hilarious. <laughs> And then I began hearing stories of some of the people who were caught up into it and what it was doing to them and their families. Josh Duggar ring a bell? But it wasn't just him. I, I, I know some pastors who got caught up in it and Christian leaders. But the saddest story I think I heard was a police captain in San Antonio. You know, I saw his picture. If he was here today, he would look like just everything you would expect in law enforcement. A really fine fellow. But I guess he'd been on the Ashley Madison side, and when he was outed, he took his life. And a co-worker posted this on Facebook, and I thought I'd read it to you. He said, you're truly one of the guys I've most respected in my law enforcement career. No task too big, no goal too lofty. Never met a stranger, never backed down. Always had your partner's back, or when you were in charge, your officer's back. Whatever it was, I wish one of us could have reached you. Love you, Mike. This is a hard day. God bless you, your family, and the department. If I'm talking to anybody today and you've got something hidden, dig it up before God digs it up. Dig it up now. Dig it up when you can still find mercy. Many years ago, many years ago, I worked with a couple of families through a horrible scandal. A man a father did a horrible thing and he wrecked two families and he went to prison. I'll never forget what he told me the first day I confronted him in my office. 
I had been preaching through Revelation. Back in those days, I didn't preach five-week series. I preached all, a whole year on Revelation. But I had preached about the seven churches. In the church of Thyatira, there was a specially wicked woman, and God simply says this, I gave her space to turn around. I gave her space to repent. And he sat in my office with his head down, with tears sobbing down his cheeks, and he said, I remember that sermon you preached. And he said, God said to me, this is your space to turn around. This is your opportunity to turn around. Guys, I don't want to lay anything heavy on you here today, but I'm talking to somebody. This is your chance. This is your chance to dig it up. This is your chance to dig it up before God digs it up. There's a fourth reason. There's a fourth problem that Achan had. And guys, this is the one that speaks to me. What Achan didn't realize was he was cheating himself. I mean, for less than $20,000, he blew up his life, the lives of his family. He wrecked the momentum of an entire nation. And yet, here was the thing. God wanted to do so much more in his life. I mean, Achan was a God follower. He was an Israelite. When the Bible talks about Canaan, the Bible says they lived in houses they didn't build. They ate from vineyards they didn't plant. I mean, God wanted to do extraordinary things in his life. For any of us who is tempted to do something because we think we want a relationship so bad or we want to cut a corner or we want money so much that we're willing to do something that's a little bit dishonest, for any of us who's ever tempted to do something wrong and cover it up because we perceive some advantage in it, I want you to hear a verse that God has spoken to me and taught me and is now one of my life verses. Every time I'm ever tempted to take the easy way out, I remember this scripture that God taught me in a challenging season of my life. It's the story. I won't take a long time to tell it, but there was a king in Israel, and he wanted to go out on a military excursion, and he hired a mercenary army, and he paid them up front $2 million. And after he paid them, the prophet of God came to this king and said to him, if you go out and fight this battle, God is not going to be with you. You need to send all these mercenaries home. And so the king asked the question you and I would ask. He said, what about the $2 million? And it's the answer that's become a life verse for me. And if it's not your life verse or one of them, I want you to add it to your list. In 2 Chronicles 25, 9, the Bible says, the man of God replied, the Lord can give you so much more. I'm talking to somebody here today, and you're in a relationship with somebody, and it's not a good relationship, and he's hurting you, he's abusing you, and you're saying to yourself, but I don't know, if, if, if I end this relationship, maybe nobody will care about me. The Lord can give you so much more. Right? I mean, it could be somebody here today, and you're just saying, you know what? If I don't cheat, if I don't put this defeat device on my life, I'm not going to get what I want. Forget about that. God can give you so much more. I mean, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. God is not, his hand is not shortened that it cannot reach you. If you will trust God, he can give you so much more. What a crazy thing for Achan to take this $20,000 when God wanted to give him so much. Well, real quickly, what do you do when you've suffered a setback? How do you deal with it? I mean, maybe, maybe you just didn't learn the lessons of winning, and it came back to bite you. Or maybe you covered something up, or maybe somebody you love covered something up, and now it's affected the whole team. Well, God gave Joshua three, three things to do, and we'll give them to you real quickly since we're really out of time. But the first thing God said to Joshua was, get up. Look at the verse one more time. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? 
One of the few times God ever interrupted a prayer. Because <laughs> Joshua's lying, lying on the ground praying, and God is saying, Joshua, it's enough, enough, enough prayer. Get up. Get up. Well, why is that significant? Because if you've suffered a setback, lying down feels pretty good. Lying down and crying feels okay. And on top of that, it gives you something to do. Somebody says, well, you had a setback. What are you doing? I'm lying down. I'm crying about it. And then on top of that, what's really sweet is people come by and stroke you and say, oh, I'm so sorry for you for what you experienced. And, and sympathy is a good thing. There's a season for it. But God said to Joshua, that season is over. It's time to get up. Hey, guys, if you've suffered a setback, get up. God's still God. He still loves you. You're still his child. He still has a future for you. There's still places to go, things to do, people to see. God is not finished with you. If you've got a setback, just get up and say, okay, I didn't learn the lessons of winning, but I'm learning them now. I'm learning, learning the lessons. And, and maybe I got a little full of myself, but I've learned the lesson. Dust your britches off. Get up and say, okay, I'm going to go on to great things for God. God still loves you. You're still his child. Here's the second one. Here's the one we're reluctant to do. You got TCOB. You got to take care of business. God said to Joshua, deal with what's wrong in the camp. And then the third thing, God said, resume the chase. I'm very happy to tell you, breakout generation never suffered another loss. They strung together a perfect season after this. For all of us who've experienced a setback, get up, take care of business. Resume the chase. Good time right now. If you're here today and things are going very well for you right now, what a great season to humble ourselves before God and say, I didn't get myself here. God got me here. And even though things are going very well, I'm going to humble myself and ask God how to face tomorrow like I'm in trouble, like I'm desperate. Wow. You can, you can, go, on, you can go on to huge success. And if there's anybody here, you say, Mark, there's something hidden in my life, but I'm afraid to dig it up. I know I've told you this story before. It just fits so well, I have to tell it again. When I was a kid growing up in Fort Worth, you know, I, I grew up in a traditional church where you dressed up to go to church. And my parents have bought me this copper-colored suit. I didn't care anything about it, but my dad thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I, and you just had to be there in the late 60s, you know. I mean, when the sun shone, it light up the east side of Fort Worth. I mean, that's... <laughs> and every time I'd wear it, my dad would just rave about that suit. Oh, he loved that suit. We were having one of those church, you know, dinner on the ground things that little churches used to have back in the days. And I spilled pie all down the front of the suit and pants. And I knew I'd ruined it. It's finished. It's over. So when I got home, I thought the only thing I can do to survive this is to hide this suit. So I crumpled it all up and stuck it in the back of one of my drawers. Now, I don't know, when I was just I was 10, 12, 13 years old, it felt like it was forever. It was probably a few months. My dad would say for me from time to time, you're going to wear that suit today? I said, no, I just don't feel like it. And I felt bad every time I told him some story, but I knew where it was. <laughs> Of all the days I've experienced, I remember this one very much. There was a day when I thought, I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of pretending. And I pulled that suit now, hopelessly, not only ruined from the pie, but dreadfully crumpled up. And I brought it to Dad, and I said, Dad, the real problem with this suit is I ruined it with this pie. 
and I expected to get the whipping of a lifetime. Dad looked at that and he said, well, that's no problem. <laughs> we'll just take it to the dry cleaners. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a dry cleaners. <laughs> Dad said, that's no problem, Mark. Took it to dry cleaners, I got it back, it looked like it's brand new. See, that's our problem. We hide stuff, we're afraid to bring it to our Father. But our Heavenly Father says, that's not a problem for me. My son Jesus bled on the cross. And his blood pays for all your sin and dysfunction. And while it's devastating to you and me, it's not a problem for our Father. If we'll dig it up and bring it to him, the Bible says we will find and discover his mercy. Let's pray. Father God, speak to our hearts in this time. And Lord, if there's anybody here who hasn't given his or her life to Jesus, I pray that'll happen right now. With your head still bowed, the greatest thing you can ever do is bring your whole life to Jesus that way. This is how you go to heaven. This is how you get forgiven of sins. It's to dig up everything in your life in one big box and bring it to God and say, God, here's my life, and I can't save myself. He knows that already. Jesus died on the cross. His blood paid for your sins. And if you're willing to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, God will forgive you and make you his child. I want to pray a prayer with you that asks for that. And I'll pray it slowly. You can repeat the words. The important thing is what you mean in your heart. Pray with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe his blood paid for them. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my old way of life and I receive your son, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's got a DVD in it and a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. So please come get it. It's the guest services out in the lobby. There's a little one back by the coffee shop. Next weekend, I'm doing the coolest thing I've ever done in my career. I've never done it before. So I want you to be here next weekend. It's for a talk called Generations. God bless. See you soon.